Thank you, Tony. I really do appreciate that. Uh, I bring you greetings from, uh, from South Africa uh, on behalf of the presiding bishop of the Methodist Church in Southern Africa, Reverend uh, Bishop Siwa, and uh, all our love and greetings from Africa. And uh, just to thank you so much, Tony, for giving us the opportunity to be represented here today. And I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here. A friend and mentor, Mrs. Winnie Mandela, passed away recently. I was with her at her bedside when she passed away. She made a famous statement when she said that she is a product of her people and her enemies. She is a product of her people and her enemies. All of us somehow are a product of what other people say about us and how people react to us and how people treat us. We live in a world that will say to you, you are either too male or too female, you're too black or too white, you're too tall or too thin, you, I mean too fat or too thin, too tall or too short, you're too young or too old, and we continuously, whether it be through the media or through society itself, are continuously forced into being molded sometimes into something or someone that we really aren't what God intended to be. Some of us here today have grown up being told that you'll never be good enough. Some of us have grown up here, grown up being told that we'll never measure up to anything or anyone. We have had friends and sometimes even family sell us short and certainly have spoken over our lives not that what God would want to speak over our lives. And so today I'm going to be speaking about that. I want to be speaking about the fact that you are not who they say you are. You are not who they say you are. Gideon points us to three very simple truths that I'd like to share with you in the time that I have left today. The first is this. God always sees us as we could be, not as we are. God always sees us as we could be, not as we are. I mean, one of the most incredible statements ever is brought to a man who's hiding away from the enemy. He is so scared that in fact he's in a deep cave trying to stay away from the Midianites and from the enemy. He is so scared he dare not even come out into daylight for fear of being attacked. He is victimized, he's afraid. In fact, quite frankly, he's a coward. He even owns it over his own life because not only do we have other people speaking things over our life, we even sometimes speak things over our own life. We in fact tell ourselves that we are not good enough. We often are the ones in fact who bring the worst curse over ourselves. He says, I'm of the weakest clan. So not only is he, is he ashamed in terms of who he is as an Israelite, but even his clan and family, and family, he sees himself as the lowest of the lowest. But yet this incredible statement of the angel who stands before him and says to him when he greets Gideon, he says, God is with you, you mighty warrior. 
I mean, are we reading the same story here? Are we reading about the same person? It seems impossible that we can be speaking about the same person, the weakest of the weak. In fact, a coward. But yet, you see, God doesn't see him as he is. He sees him as he could be, a mighty warrior. And even though he's visited by an angel, I mean, could you imagine them? I don't know when the last time was any of you was visited by an angel. But in that moment, as he's visited by an angel, in that moment, could you imagine the glory? Because angels just, by the way, don't sort of just sneak in inconspicuous, you know, and, and, and all quiet and reserved. I can tell you now, when an angel visits you, an angel visits you. I mean, you're pretty much aware of the fact that an angel is visiting you, someone who's a messenger from Almighty God. And even although this mighty angel stands in front of Gideon and pronounces this over his life, Gideon, you are in fact a mighty warrior, Gideon still doesn't see it. But God never ever just sees you as who you are now, but he sees who you can be and who you could be. God sees this potential, this God-given moment in all of our lives. He sees us as he saw Gideon, sometimes, sometimes more than we can even understand or imagine. So I was, uh, I was born in Johannesburg, and, uh, and my, my mother, uh, she, she fell pregnant with me out of, out of marriage, and uh, my, my birth father, my biological father, wasn't a, a very nice guy at all. In fact, uh, when, she, when she told him that, uh, that she was pregnant with me, he basically well, I can't really tell you what he told her in church, so I won't say anything right now. I'll never be invited back again to preach. Uh, and so he basically chased her away, swore at her, and, uh, and, and she had to make a decision between having an abortion or giving me up for adoption. And so she, she decides to give me up for adoption. And uh, the, my, my, my mom and dad, who then adopted me eventually, uh, got a phone call the one Saturday morning, and the, someone on the phone said, there's a little boy that's been born, would you, would you like him? Uh, and my pa- something similar to that. My parents got in the car, they told me the story, and they drove to the children's home, uh, and they walked into, into a big room, and there were a whole lot of cots. I don't know if you call them cots. You call them cots with babies in them, all over this whole room. Uh, and my mom and dad were led, they told me the story, we were led to this one cot, uh, and, they, and they peered into this cot, and as they looked in this cot, they saw this beautiful, cute, <laughs> gorgeous little baby boy. And I was in the one next to that one. <laughs> and, uh, and my mom and dad told me the story of how they picked me up out of the cot and held me so close. And they spoke this over my life. They, they didn't say, your mother, she's no good. She didn't say your mother had many men. She didn't say your mother didn't even have a decent place to stay. She didn't, didn't say your mother was this or your mother was that. They picked me up. And they didn't see me just where I'd come from. But they saw where I could be going. And they looked over my life and they held me and they, and they spoke love into my life. And they, and they told me how much they loved me, even although they just met me because of the, how much they loved me and how they would bring me up in a God-fearing home and how they would care for me and didn't care where I came from, but they just 
poured their love into my life. Now, if that is what human parents and human beings can do, can you imagine how much God does that for you and for me? How he holds you and me close and sees something in us that no one else sees. And you today might need to hear that. You might have done things in your life or made decisions in your life or things might have happened in your life. God doesn't just see that. He sees someone who's whole. He sees someone who's redeemed. He sees someone that he calls a mighty warrior. Whatever you may think of yourself right now, for things you've done or where you've come from, God sees something completely different. And today might be the day where you're standing in this place in front of, of an angel from God that is speaking truth and love and potential over your life. He doesn't just see you as you are now, but he sees what you could be. The, the second thought that I think comes from from Gideon and from this, this passage is this, is that, that God calls us to something that has to be accomplished his way. God calls us to a purpose or God calls us to a mission that must be accomplished his way. I mean, the problem with the thing that some of us face is that, is that we get in the way of ourselves. So often that we get in the way of of what God has intended for us. The angel says um, clearly, go in the strength you have and defeat Midian and I will be with you. In other words, God tells Gideon to muster all the strength that he's got and then God will come to the party with all of his strength and that will make a difference at the end of the day. We have to be willing to bring God what we can offer even if we sometimes think it's not much and allow God to accomplish great things through us. The thing is this, God didn't just call Gideon to do something impossible and something outrageous. He asked him to do something that in fact was totally crazy. He says, take who you are and go and fight the Midianites, people who have been terrorizing you for years, people who have got an iron grip on the region, people that are, are, are bent on killing you and making your life hell. And Gideon gathers all his strength and, and courage and decides what to do simply out of obedience. I say this to some of the churches that I lead in South Africa. God sometimes calls us to, to do really crazy things. Um, I don't know if you have circuit courtly meetings, you have courtly meetings. I, I say to my superintendents, sometimes the church is tired of hearing the same thing over and over and over again from its leaders. Really? We've been doing the same thing for years and years and years and years. And I, and I say to people, when is the last time you walked out of a church meeting thinking, he must be crazy, or, or she must be crazy. How is it even possible that he or she could think that we should go in that direction? But in fact, too often in the South African context, we walk out of our church meetings going, what's new? 
seriously. And we sometimes wonder why the church isn't making the impact it should be making in the world. Because I think every now and again the church needs to get a little bit crazy. And when, when, have, we, when have we planned or visioned something so ambitious that we as Christians have been left speechless and breathless at the thought that God could possibly use us to do something so great. But we have to do it God's way. And that's sometimes where the struggle comes. Because when we get involved, we're going, that's not possible. As if God is sitting back going, you know, economics aren't quite working in your favor. You don't have enough people. You know, you're right, don't do it. God, in fact, does the opposite. And maybe even for your own life. I'm wondering when the last time was you and I, you and I came before God and really prayed an audacious prayer. I said, God, use me in any way you can to accomplish your purpose. To accomplish your purpose. And so Gideon goes and he takes, he, he gets 30,000 people. Now, I know you just, you think that's not a big deal, 30,000 people. Just imagine it for a moment. He's in a cave. He's like the weakest of weeks. He's in the worst possible clan. That is pretty impressive to get 30,000 people together. Think about it. Yeah, Gideon gets 30,000 people. He must have come before God and thought, God, look, you're right. I am a mighty warrior. And this is impressive. 30,000 people. And of course, what does God do in true style? He sends 22,000 of them home, leaving only 10% of the original group. And then God says there's still too many, too many soldiers. And so he tells Gideon to send even more back. At the end of the day, Gideon goes from 30,000 soldiers to 300 to take on the Midianites. Who in their right mind goes and fights a battle with only 300 people? But you see, this is how God works. This is why how God wants things done. He shows Gideon and he shows you and me over and over and over again that his purposes must be accomplished his way. And if we let him, he will bring victory into our lives in ways like we would never, ever have believed. But maybe just for, day, for today, you and I have to step aside and allow God to do his work in our lives. And then lastly, God sends us always in his power. It's always his power, his way and his power. So when we are prepared to come to God and say to God, God, I'm in your hands. God, I give myself over to you. God, I know that you see something in me that I don't always see. God, I know that you see something in me, certainly that the people around me don't see. But you see, even with such a small, tiny army, no real training, and all the other factors going against Gideon, God sends him out, what? In his power and might so that he can have and lead this army to an amazing victory. You see, when the angel stood before Gideon, did you notice? I mean, he didn't come before Gideon and say, okay, Gideon, this is how we're gonna do it, okay? I'm gonna send 
uh, 100 of your men this side, and then you need to send 100 men this way, and then you will uh, figure out the way around them, and then we will attack from the rear, and we'll do all the, there was no details, there was no strategies, there was no battle strategies, nothing. There was absolutely no way in which he told Gideon how it is that he must accomplish this incredible battle, this, this victory. Do you notice that? But he simply said this, he simply said this, I will be with you. Now I want you to know in your life and my life, you may not know what tomorrow looks like. You may be sitting here today with challenges that you can't even believe. You may be sitting here today having no idea of what happens next in your life. And sometimes, again, we need to step back from all the planning and all the strategies and, and everything else that we can think and the notes and the, and the bullet points and everything else about our lives. And sometimes, in fact, we need to um, not always be the, be the people, the men and women who want to try and figure everything out. Sometimes in our lives, and maybe this is for you and for me today, sometimes all, in fact, we have to hear is God's whisper over our lives. I will be with you, and that will make all the difference. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever God might have called you to do, he sends you not in your own strength, not in your own power, but in his strength and power. Because this is the amazing part. When the soldiers returned home from this incredible victory, just think about this for a moment. I mean, surely, with 300 men against the million, no one, when they came home, could have said, Gideon is in fact, and his soldiers are a great army. See, when, when they came home, every single Israelite stood back and said, all victory and power belongs to God and God only. Only God could have accomplished what happened that day. Only God. And I have a sense that God wants you to make sure that everyone else understands it. And you and I here thousands of years later, God wants you and I to understand that it is God who accomplishes. It is God who, who makes a way when there seems to be no way. It is in God in whom we have the victory. And the question I really found me asking myself is whether I am leaving room for the miracle working power of God in my life. Am I leaving enough room for the miracle working power of God in my life? Or am I trying to do things in my own strength and my own power? Sometimes I've had too many plan Bs. Sometimes I've had too many reserves and backup plans. Somehow, sometimes I've depended way too much on my own human strength. But this story reminds me, this story reminds me to depend on the miracle working power of God in our lives when we place all our trust and hope in him alone. So, let me wrap up. This last Easter Sunday, there was a profound moment for me as, as I prepared for Easter Sunday. Uh, some of the, the preachers will tell you that when you've done, when I've been preaching Easter sermons since 1996, that after a while you wonder, I mean, I know I'm gonna preach about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but how am I gonna do this differently? 
how am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to do something fresh? Uh, and this is part of what I was going through in my mind as I was preparing for Easter. And on Resurrection Sunday, as I was preparing for Easter Sunday, God put something in my mind that I'd never seen before. Uh, some people have a laugh at me because they're going, you must have been blind if you never saw that in your life before. But this was it. Uh, Peter is, um, is really arrogant. I mean, you remember on the night just before Jesus was betrayed, he says, Jesus says, one of you are going to deny me. And what does Peter say? He's like up in Jesus' face. He's going, even if they kill me, I'll never deny you. I mean, that's, that's in, in Jesus' face. Even, even if they kill me. Then, of course, the next day, he's in the, he's in the courtyard. And three times people, do you know him? I'm sure I saw you with him and all the rest of it. And he had this big brass the night before is proclaiming death before denial. He's so scared the next day. And he denies Christ three times. I always wonder, did you ever wonder what it must have been like the last time, that last moment when he betrays Christ? Could you imagine looking up over the fires of the courtyard and locking eyes with Christ? as he's been taken away to be tortured. It's like Jesus looked at him going, I told you. <laughs> and then have you ever thought about what it must have been like for those two days while Jesus was dead, what went through Peter's mind? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Yeah, he betrays the Son of God. You know, it's one thing being betrayed by someone who's never ever said they would support you or have your back. But isn't the worst betrayal comes from the ones who said, oh, I'm behind you, I support you, you're my best friend, you with everything. When, when they betray you, it's worse, I think. And so for two days, Jesus, uh, Peter's got this in his mind. Then comes Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is, comes alive, rises from the dead. Gives a, the, the angel gives a message to the woman to go and tell the disciples. And in Mark chapter 16, it picks it up. The only one of the gospels. This is the message. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me that was betrayed, do you know what the message would be? Go and tell the disciples Except Peter. Don't tell Peter I'm alive, man. That, he betrayed me, man. You know, give him a message, give the others a message, but don't tell Peter. You know, he betrayed me, he denied me. But you see, Jesus saw something in Peter. Not what those around him were telling him. Not even what he was telling himself. But he saw something in Peter. It wasn't soon after that when he was going to the temple to pray, when he walked past the lame man, and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. See, that's what Jesus saw in Peter, not the betrayer, not the denier. And Peter. And Jesus sees this in me and you. So the message is, go and tell the disciples and Gary. And he speaks that over your life and my life. You are not, you are not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. Loved, cherished, redeemed, 
forgiven a child of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your gracious love over our lives. We know, Father, that we are not worthy of your love and grace and peace. But you see something in us. We ask you, Father, to forgive us. For so often, Father, we measure our lives by what is told to us by those around us. Forgive us, Father, for we have on way too many occasions tried to do things in our own strength and our own power. It's just that, God, sometimes it's so difficult to step back. It's so difficult for us, Lord God, to open up our hands. It's so difficult, Father, for us not to have control and to be in control. Forgive us, Father, when we have given in to the lies of the world that have said we are not worth anything. And so, God, we lay our lives before you today, on this day, knowing that us being here together as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is not by chance or by accident. But, Father, it is your divine will that we would be here in London on this day. And so, wherever you are in your life right now, I would really want you to experience the love of God flowing over your life, wave after wave after wave. And that even now in this moment as the Holy Spirit works in your life and in my life, would you too hear the angel speak into your life? You, who is a mighty warrior, now go and do the work of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.